Welcome to Western Hills Podcast. Today we launch what I consider a very crucial and important series. So I'm going to make a very explicit call and ask of you that you do what it takes to commit to being here to many times as you can during this series. And perhaps you do what it takes to invite somebody because we're going to take a look at the most critical event in all of history. This is the event that divides history into two epics. And we're going to look at the, the walk that Jesus took on his way to his death, to the cross. Now, for many of us, we're familiar with all kinds of pieces of this story. But most of us don't have sort of the timeline and the details and the experience all together. And what that is, is this is the gospel message. This is the good news. This is the reason that as Christians we come together and we have faith and hope. This is what our entire belief is based on. If you take away the cross and the resurrection, then there's nothing else to Christianity. It's just a group of nice teachings after that. And we've become very familiar with this in many ways. In fact, many of you um, might have a cross as decoration on the wall. I do. I have several. Or maybe you have a cross as a piece of jewelry or as something that decorates your, your home decor. And, and I'm not slamming that. I'm just pointing out the fact that what happens is we become very, very familiar with this image. And the challenge because, is that suddenly the image starts to lose some of the teeth that it has. We have historical accounts of thousands and thousands of crucifixions. See, the Phoenicians developed, they created crucifixion. But the Romans got a hold of it and they perfected it. And what Rome did with the idea of crucifixion was it sent a message. A crucifixion was torture, it was punishment, it was execution, and it was a political statement all at the same time. This is why anytime there was a slave revolt or they need to put down an enemy, the consequence would be they would line the roadways. Okay, they would line the roads with crucifixion. One crucifixion after the other. Now, that doesn't exactly say welcome to Rome, does it? What it does, it says, do not doubt the power of Rome. But the truth is that even with all the crucifixions that history accounts for, we know about crucifixion because of one crucifixion. The crucifixion of Jesus. And what you need to understand about crucifixion is long before it became jewelry, or long became a piece of art you would hang on the wall, and long before it became something that you would even paint, it was a sign of execution torture. And in fact, crucifixion, as we're going to move through this, you're going to understand that the experience was so brutal that it did not start to appear in Christian art until after 
the last person that would have witnessed the crucifixion had passed away. And then several years later, it begins coming because there's no longer eyewitnesses to it. Well, we're going to take a look at that. Now, I know that sounds like a big burden and does not sound like an exciting next several weeks. But I believe when we look at this, there is a blessing and we will find grace in this. In fact, I actually want to start someplace outside of a gospel. And I'm going to start in Hebrews 12.1. In Hebrews 12.1, we find this verse. And this verse is going to frame out an entire series. Here's what Hebrews 12.1 says. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now he's describing life. Let's run life in a certain way. And he goes on. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that, you may, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Two things I want to point out. First of all, he says, fix your eyes. Fix your eyes straight on Jesus and consider him. And then we consider something very particular. Consider what he endured. He, it says he endured the cross and the shame of it for the joy set before him. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to consider this experience of Jesus. We're going to set our eyes on it. And then the promise is that we don't lose heart. What did he endure so that we don't lose heart? Or here's a better way to say it. He endured... So we can endure. And that's what the next several weeks is going to be about. Understanding this experience of Jesus that was 100% man and 100% God. See, oftentimes as we get close to the crucifixion, we start, if you're familiar with the story, we tend to kick into this idea that, well, he flipped on his superpowers then and somehow experienced it unlike what we would experience it. But he was 100% man at the same time that he was 100% God. And you're going to see through this experience that he had some incredibly deep human emotions and experiences that you can relate to because you've experienced some. So with that as a setup, let's dive in. If you would, go to Mark chapter 14. And this is, this is the, the part that you're going to find inside the little handout that we gave you. If you want to take some notes on that, I encourage you to do that. While you're finding Mark chapter 14, I'll tell you what's just happened. Jesus has met in the upper room with his disciples, and they've shared the Passover supper together. And he's told them some things that's about to come, and it's been very unsettling to them. And even in that midst of that, Peter says, I'm not going to ever leave you. I will be with you forever. And what we need to understand is as he makes his way... From that upper room, he is basically less than 24 hours from his death. And he knows it. They go from the upper room, and then what Mark is going to tell us, he goes out to a place. 
And I'll pick up reading in Mark chapter 32. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 14, verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter and James and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Now, I want you to, as we read this, pay attention to the emotion words, the words that describe his experience. He began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here, keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground. And prayed that if it is possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch? Couldn't you keep watch for just one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall in temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus knows he's facing his death. He knows the clock is running. But what we need to understand is he is going to intentionally walk towards the cross. He will not be dragged there. He will not be forced there. But that doesn't remove the emotional experience that he's having. And so, having celebrated the supper, he takes with him his closest. And they go into what is a garden. And he says, you stay here and, and you pray. And I'm going to go over here just a little bit of ways and I'm going to do some praying because I've got to talk and I've got to connect with my Heavenly Father. And look, look at what it does. Look at these words that he uses. It says, it says he fell to the ground. And he's begging God. His soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. See, sometimes we think that, that what Jesus experienced was nice and neat. And perhaps maybe you've even seen a picture of this drawn where Jesus is kneeling very peacefully by a rock. And there's a shaft of light coming down on him as he looks up. That's not the image that we have in Scripture. He is overcome with emotion. And he's falling on the ground and he is begging his father. In fact, if you jump over into Luke, and I'll just read this for you very quickly. Luke chapter 22 verse 44 says this. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Sweat like drops of blood. There's an actual condition that I know the medical folks in here will know. Hematohydrosis. And I'm sure I'm butchering the name. But the idea is that it can be brought on by such stress and such emotional anguish that capillaries and blood vessels around the sweat glands break and people actually begin to bleed through the sweat glands. This is what Jesus is experiencing. This, this is not a picture you took on Instagram and then you applied three filters to it. This is brutal. And don't miss the significance of the place. See, 
this is a little bit more challenging for us because we associate the word Gethsemane as a single location outside of Jerusalem, if you're familiar with the story. But a Gethsemane has a meaning, and a Gethsemane means olive press. That's the definition of olive press. So what Jesus has done is he's gone into this garden where they harvest olives. And as you would expect in any type of agricultural enterprise right there, the press is present. And and I don't know what that one looked like, but here's a picture of one. Any press would have involved a huge stone and weight. And some of them had levers and some of them were crushed this way as this rock rolls around. But understand, says Jesus went to the Gethsemane, he went to the olive press, and the whole job of the olive press is to crush the olives. And what Jesus is experiencing as he prays, perhaps maybe even falling down at the very base of one of these presses, is he's experiencing being crushed. And his life is being forced out on behalf of the world. And he prays. And you need to listen to his prayer. Because he cries out this word, Abba. And if you've got one of the scripture journals, you need to circle that word. Abba is the Hebrew equivalent to us saying, Daddy. It's, it's the repeat of word, Dada. And so he cries out a very intense and personal, Abba, Father, And understand, Jesus is asking for some other way. He's asking if there's any other possibility. And I've got to believe that the angels in heaven, at this very moment, they're leaning over the edge of heaven and they're looking down on this moment because it's this moment that they're wondering which way history is going to go. Will Jesus choose to complete the mission or we choose to exit right now? And he cries out to his father and he cries this prayer of submission that says, not my will, but your will. Now, while he's experiencing all of this, you can only imagine what the disciples are doing. You're sure that they're praying for him. They're lifting him up. They're encouraging him. Absolutely not. This is, this is one of those stories that convinces me, or at least helps me to be very encouraged that what we're reading is true. Because if this was made up, and the disciples made the story up, they would not write themselves into the story in this way. Because this is about as blatantly um, offensive as you can get. Verse 39. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back again, he found them, what? Sleeping again. Because their eyes were heavy. Well, they must have been. They did not know what to say to him. (laughs) What would you say to Jesus in that moment? I mean, he comes back sweating profusely, perhaps with drops of blood on his face. What are you doing? Sleeping. Peter fell asleep first. How do you even begin to explain that to him? Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. 
And if there hadn't been enough emotion in the story yet, look what happens next. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, Judas, one of his friends, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Do you feel the isolation? Do you feel the loneliness? He, he's in one of the most intense crucibles of his life. And the guys that he took to be there with him to support him, they just keep falling asleep on the job. The, you ever had that moment where you're experiencing something very deep, something very personal, something very intense, and, and you're trying to explain it to a trusted friend and they just don't get it? They're distracted by details of life or something else. You're trying to have the conversation across a cup of coffee. And you can tell your, your words are not making it across the table. And you feel more isolated. That is what Jesus is feeling. And so at this very isolated moment, three times coming back and finding his disciples asleep. He says enough and he looks up and he sees the torches coming up the darkened path. And Judah steps out from the middle of this group and he walks up to him and he kisses him. That's not what a kiss is for. A kiss is affection. It's romance. It's supposed to be sweet. It's supposed to be special. And yet Judas, with the sting of a kiss, he betrays. And the truth is... You can only be betrayed by somebody close to you, right? If an enemy does something against you, you don't call it a betrayal. You call it expected. That's what enemies are supposed to do. But a friend, a close one, steps up. And with the sting of a kiss, betrays Jesus. So to loneliness and isolation... We add betrayal. And this is where I believe Jesus is so intensely human because those are emotions that many of you have experienced. And you've been there in the dark of a night. And you've been there wondering, God, where have you gone? Why has life ended up here? Why do I feel so alone? What? When will somebody come that I can connect with? Or you felt the sting of betrayal by a loved one, perhaps a spouse. And you felt that crushing weight. So what's the good news here? The, the news, which is good is that Jesus knows what you're experiencing. Jesus knows this so intimately. He did not choose to stand far back from the human experience and pass judgment on it. Instead, he entered into it, into the very depths of it, the mess of it. 
and experienced it all so that ultimately he could be the complete and total sacrifice needed. Jesus understands what you are or have gone through. And so then our response should be the same. What do we do when we feel the weight of the world is crushing down on us? The response, the invitation, the opportunity that you have is to cry out the same prayer. Abba, Father. You've got a God that loves you so intensely and so personally that will not forsake you. That he invites you not just to call him God, not just to call him Lord, but to call him Daddy. To come that close and that personal and that intense. And he's there, and he's in the middle, and he's around, and he knows. And you're not alone. That's what Jesus did. Jesus is crying out to his Father for the strength and the encouragement to endure. And we can cry out to our Heavenly Father for the strength and the encouragement to endure. I, I, I was trying to come up with a way to illustrate this, and let me share with you this story. I'm going to tell you about Isabella. I'm going to show a picture of Isabella here, and she is just a princess, isn't she? Isabella's four years old, and this is after she'd been asked to be the flower girl at her aunt's wedding, her auntie's wedding, because this was in the U.K. What you don't know about her is that she has a form of palsy. And they were hoping, her parents were hoping that by the time that the wedding came around, she would have learned to walk. But even at the age of four, it didn't happen. And so how can she be the flower girl? How was this picture taken? Let me show you through these pictures. This is her dad. Her dad had the honor of walking her down the aisle. And what may be difficult to see in this picture is that there's a harness on her father that Isabella is wearing And so under her dress is this harness right here. And it's supporting all of her weight. And there's even one more step to this harness, to this thing, is that her dad wore a special set of shoes that had a sandal that wrapped around his shoes and then wrapped around her feet. And so literally, as as he stepped, her feet walked with him. And so on that day... Isabella walked down the aisle and felt like a princess. And I share that because that's the Gethsemane message for all of us. Not by your power do you endure, but by a total and complete reliance on our Heavenly Father, the one that invites us to say, Daddy, by All of our weight, all of our burden, all of our disability, all of that lacks and is broken in us on him. And by his power we walk. By his power we endure. Our Heavenly Father, Abba. Let me pray for us. Abba, Father. Let us not lose sight of what Jesus endured. All that he experienced. And may it serve to motivate us. 
May it serve to inspire us and encourage us that we can endure. Not because we're suddenly strong. Not because we suddenly figure it all out. But because you're walking with us by your power. So Father, I pray for anyone hearing this message right now. Anyone that's experiencing a Gethsemane crushing experience in their life. Anyone that's experiencing the loneliness, wondering when, oh when, God, will somebody come into my life? For anybody that's experiencing the sting of betrayal, for anybody that's experiencing the isolation that comes with life. Father, I pray that you show them this week that you're Abba, Father. And you draw close to them because of Jesus. And not as one that doesn't know what that experience is, but one that has experienced that intimately, and you come alongside, and you comfort, and you give strength, and you help to endure. But I pray that in a very tangible way, Maybe it comes through an email. Maybe it comes through a text message. Maybe it comes through a surprise visit by someone. Maybe it comes through a song that we hear on the radio this week. But in a very tangible way, you would communicate to each of us that you're present and you're here. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Western Hills podcast. Please visit our website, westernhillsonline.org, to find out more about us.